Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I got a special guest today, actor, producer, Roderick Lawrence. How you doing, my good brother? I'm great, brother. I appreciate you having me, man. How are you? I'm, I'm okay, man. You know, we was talking offline about I'm talking from D.C. and you're talking from New York, so I guess the competition might be which construction work is going to start first, Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they will compete with each other once they hear it. They'll just get louder <laughs> gradually. I, I, I promise you, though, I, I'm going to start. They, they they be outside my window, brother, and I and I promise you, I'm on the eighth floor, but I I swear they be listening, and as soon as I hit the record button, they be like, they just, Man, they, they just get the work. You know, all of our auditions now, most of our auditions now are recorded through us. We send to our agents. So we don't go, like, because of COVID changed everything. So a lot of the times you're recording your auditions yourself, sending it to your agents, and they send it to casting. So, like, I'm telling you, every time I'm ready to do some scene, <laughs> every time it's ready to go, something pops off. <laughs> something <laughs> pops off. It's crazy. Okay. We we might have to draw. We might have to call it a draw. You know, <laughs> we might have to call it a draw, which something you don't know, um, you being from Ohio, me being from Michigan, this is about the closest draws we can have. Oh, uh, yes. This is this is store rival. This whole <laughs> this will be this will be the most we agree, probably. This uh, is the old, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Detroit, you know, oh, so you're yeah. from Cleveland. Oh, this, yeah. might, this might be the only time, you know. So this is historic right here. Okay. <laughs> Only in the Midwest do they understand how historic that we had to come to an agreement man. on something, and we can walk away pleasantly. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. They be bur- they burn cars out there, man. They believe <laughs> these folks, <laughs> these folks flipping cars because of a Michigan sticker, bro. I'm like, come on, man. You know, I, you know what? You know, I'm gonna take this L. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be truthful with you, brother, because I, I'm not, I, I ain't never scared. I'm actually a Michigan State fan. Oh, so y'all, so we, you know, we only went against y'all like every ten years in football. Basketball, we a little bit different, but in Michigan State, we win like every every ten years. Like last time, I think we won against y'all. I, I definitely had a hairline. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the crazy. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in like, and I played football all through middle school, all through high school, everything. And like, I did not see Michigan beat. I've seen Michigan beat Ohio State three times in my like lifetime of that I, that I like remember like it doesn't it just hasn't happened it's been a tradition of us beating them down and then they pay they played they paid John Harbaugh this you know hundreds of millions of dollars to take yep. five years to end up beating us but you know it's uh yeah Michigan State and basketball is a different story Michigan State it's a different that, story yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't get, oh don't get it twisted that that the, the 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 hatred is still there like my hatred is still there <laughs> You know, and, and I'll tell you something else, man. My right hand is from Columbus, Ohio, bro. And so I oh. ate with his family one year. Yeah, we day ones from HU. And I ate with his family one year, the weekend of the big game. No. And it didn't cross my, bro, my <laughs> brain was so, I don't know what was wrong, right? They took me to this restaurant. I had on a red hoodie. And I wasn't even thinking that that was the game. I, I totally just had a blank. And when I tell you, man, I was in the belly of the beast, 
I mean, I was down there by Eddie George's place, like all oh, that stuff. Oh, wow. And man, they got a picture of me, man, out front of the bar. And they are all him and his mans are just clowning. They got they they pointing <laughs> at me. I'm just like, I'm not even a Michigan fan, but I felt that hurt. Like, just, it just it's didn't real. make any sense, man. But it was so real. It was so real. And I was like, all right, I'll see y'all in the fall. It's I dated a girl <laughs> from uh, from Detroit for two and a half years. And we won the whole time. But like it was amazing because I got to just go sit in her house. I would always have my gear on too, bro. I'm geared out if oh. I'm going to <laughs> Scarlet and Gray out, bro. If I'm going to Detroit, but yeah, man, I know it. I know it. God, 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 God bless you for that, brother. You know what I mean? God, God bless you for being in that. You know what I mean? But the unfortunate part is you was on the receiving of the win. Yep. You know what I mean? And I had to take a loss from a team that I don't even care for. You know what I'm saying? So. I ain't got no sympathy for you on that one. You know what I'm saying? Respectfully. I'm glad you I'm glad you live, but you know, respectfully, man. But it's you know, it's good to um to have you on this episode in particular because we're coming off justice. And I was actually gonna ask this last, but I feel it in my soul to ask you now. We're coming off this like new, newer black renaissance in yes. Hollywood film. Yeah. You know, um just recently you and I are talking. I think the Critics' Choice Awards just happened. Yep. And so, you know, Angela, man, yeah, ha- has just, the Queen Angela yeah. has just been on a run of winning. Just, she won the Golden Globe. Yeah. She won the Critics' Choice, I think, the other, you know. Long overdue. We're, 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 we're hope, oh, long, long overdue, overdue, right? But wishfully that this momentum keep going, right? Then you had Shirley Ralph, who won also, too, mm-hmm. killing it made the one of the greatest affirmation speeches I probably heard so, in my lifetime. I just posted it. Just posted the same thing. You know, uh, you better... Because, uh, you know, she at least had us with... When she said, you know, they they may not like you, they may not love you, you at least thought she was going to say they're going to respect she you. She said, they don't even have to respect you. They don't even have to respect you. like... But when you look in the mirror, you better love nah. what you see. Bars, son. Bars. The bars. bars. And that's what I... <laughs> I, you know, respectfully, I don't really want to hear a bunch of thank yous. Nope. Time, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't know them people. Nah. But man, I'm loving this attitude of, we know, you know who I'm talking to and what I'm talking about. My concern, and I'm asking somebody who is a, a person of the craft, we've seen these rises before. Like historically, there was a rise in the 70s with good times and different strokes. Yes. Then in the 80s, you had the Cosby Show, Different World. Then in the 90s, Living Single, Martin, right? We've seen these rises kind of come and go, the WBs. Yep. But then we also see them get snatched. Do you feel like this Black resurgence in film is, is like here to stay, that has more longevity? Oh, I think that's a great question. I am not optimistic or hopeful for it. <laughs> I'll tell you, but the the my optimism and my belief is always in us more than anything else. I say that to say, if we support our stuff and we continue to support our stuff in record numbers, because they want us anyway, they want us, we know that. We know that, but we have to show up to support ourselves. Uh, we have to like demand certain caliber of excellence from the work that we are putting out so that they have no excuse to exclude us from those awards, to exclude us from those things. Um, I believe that it will, it is a resurgence, resurgence of a, of a new black renaissance and, you know, 
one of my uh, uh, partners over at Black Man Films, uh, my brother Cam, he always talks about starting this Harlem Renaissance. He's like, that's what we're doing. We're starting a Harlem Renaissance 2.0. You know, we just shot a film in Harlem and, you know, all these things. I do think that there is this want and this need for it from the Black community. I think uh, the older, an older generation, you know, wanted it and, and, it didn't necessarily happen and it's for us to take to take over and to run with that to run with the things that we do have now because like you said like you said it just keeps showing up man there was a i remember when oscar so white happened what was that like five, like 10 years ago it was just like 5 years ago but there was an Oscar so white 15 years ago and i didn't know that if you it's on the front really? it's on the front of jet magazine on the front of, and it has it has Lawrence Fishburne it has Angela Bassett it has Denzel and like three other actors who were snubbed. And it was like, so it was just like, it's, it's, there's a site. It's crazy. Cause I, I want to send it to you after we get on the phone. I have a picture. Please of do. It. I put, I posted it on Twitter when that happened. I, I went, I somehow found the cover of the magazine, but it's a, it, it's literally, it's the same thing. So we just have this cycle that happens. And what happens, what is happening is that we get stronger in each of those cycles and it makes it harder for them to erase those things, but it still goes away. The more powerful it is, I think the more, like, the more scared they are. You know, when, when black movies, Movies turn into just movies, then it's over for everybody. <laughs> when we have to stop saying like black, but you know, stories focusing on black characters or you know, like the black man, the best man, or like love John, or all these things are like black romance. If they're just like romance films that happen to star black people, then they're gonna, it's gonna take over. We will take over. Um, but I think that you know, labeling us in those ways that, that that's how they still keep it separate somehow, you know, still make this phenomenon out of it. For Angela and Cheryl and those queens to just be getting their due now is is uh, mind-blowing and also not surprising at the same time. But um, yeah. yeah, I think it's up to us, you know, and that's, I'm trying to be part of keeping that going, you know, that excellence that we had from them. Because we did fall, we fell a little bit. I mean, that generate that generation of actors and of films and that 90, those 90s black films in every kind of way, just like, man, uh, they, were, they, were, they were special. And um, I think there was like a fall <laughs> when they didn't, you know, get the, the due that they were supposed to. And I think now there's a, there's a you know, a resurgence of, of all of that. So you, you speak about that because you're right. Disappointment is real. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a child with Angela Bassett, middle school or whatever grade I was in, and, and watching with love got to do with it. Not even that invested in the Oscars. I remember during the time where you only watched the Oscars when something like, when somebody represented us got nominated. Yeah. And I remember that disappointment of everybody in the living room when she didn't win. I don't even remember who was all nominated. Yeah. I just remember when everybody jumped up like, with the damn, yeah. right? Because, you know, Black people kind of got this stage that I like to talk about of, we we be cynical, but we don't think you're going to win. Yeah. And then, right before they call a name, we don't want to admit that we're a little bit hopeful that you're going to yeah. win. Yeah. And then when it's proven that we're right, we're like, ah, we're, we're almost more hurt, you know, yeah. of that. And I remember, but for me, even though she didn't win, in that moment, she became this icon for me, this this legend or whatever growing up. And, you know, it got me to want to get involved into the arts. Mm. It got me to want to study the arts and things of that nature. Was that somewhat similar of your experience coming up in Cleveland, Ohio? Was Did you have some inspiration that made you want to mm, jump man. into this, this, this field? <laughs> um, I had a weird... 
you know, like I was telling you, we spoke a little bit before. I played football, you know, all in elementary, middle school, high school. And I also, like, I played instruments and I sang. So I had, like, a little, like, like band and things like that. But I got into theater pretty late. Um, I think that if there were more Black men in the limelights of what, like, if I saw myself more in those things, then maybe I would have gotten into it earlier. But I didn't, you know. Uh, for me, it was like all the black things that were available in that world, all the, all the black men or people in that world were in like a niche. Like it was like, this is the black role in this, or this is the black role in this. And in my life, I've always had like a, like, I didn't just want to play football, bro. I wanted, I was a quarterback. You know, I wanted to be like, I wanted to be a leader. Like I wanted to be the lead in this. I wanted to be the lead in that. Like I didn't want to be that black guy in that. I wanted to be Tom Cruise in that. I didn't, I wanted to be Brad Pitt in that, you know? And, uh, other than Denzel and Lawrence Fishburne, you know, we didn't even, we didn't, and more so Denzel, really, we didn't, we didn't see any of those things. But I was just talking to my dad about this the other day because, I'll have people who see me in things. And I used to get really angry about it. Like it was racist. I was like, oh, you just, you only know one black actor. So you tell me that when you see me do a role, you're like, man, you did this Denzel thing. I'm like, cool. Thank you. Thank you. But you know what I really, I, I took that back. Um, and I feel differently about it now because I do know that there are certain ticks and certain things that in studying and watching this man so, so intently for so many years, I do have things that carried over that I don't even realize, you know, but it, it's a, and it's kind of beautiful. It's kind of a, an ode to that. My dad and I were talking about it because John Boyega reminds me more of Denzel's son than Denzel's son does. John Boyega is like, man, you're it, man. You watch this dude, like every little thing. And you can just tell because we're in that age where we, this was our, our God of this was our Sidney Portier. This was our, you know, that was our Brad Pitt. That was our, that still is. So we, so yeah, a lot of us who really studied the craft, we do have a little bit in that. Um, and you know, as cliche as it is, yeah, you know, Denzel was that because it took our Sterlings until they were 45 to get <laughs> famous. It took like, you know, Mahershala Ali, all these dudes, like they should have been, they should have been 18 and 20 and, you know, blown up then. But yo, you, you can make criticism about, you know, some of the jokes, the memes. Denzel and his roles and, you know, maybe playing the same thing or whatever until you see and well, until you see that brother's real work and his real resume. When he was in the Shakespeare film not too long ago. Macbeth. Was it Hamlet? Macbeth. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you. When he was in Macbeth. And I'm looking at Denzel and I'm like, yo, that is not easy to do. It's not. And easy. he is doing it as if it's just rolling off of his mm -hmm. shoulder. You know, the technique yeah. and everything that he moved with. And you're just like, no, oh, this is a master class. Like, I don't even, I'll be honest with you. For me, I don't know about you. When I watch certain work like that, I don't even know if I'm actually enjoying it because I'm too busy paying attention to, like, the technique. Yeah, I, I yeah. Too busy watching. Yeah. You, you understand where I'm yeah, going with that? Like, yeah. And then when someone would say, well, how was the film? I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. And I get mesmerized by it. But for, you know, but for you, I think because you play quarterback, yeah. which is a, already a cerebral position. When you're seeing all of these things that you want, you're like, no. And you went to a majority white school, yes, correct? Yes, I did. So you're there with people who don't have the attitude, respectfully, of they want to play second fiddle. So you're hearing those little small conversations every day in your classroom. You're hearing it. 
does that play a part into you feeling like, no, I don't got to play second. I can be up front with you too. Cause I already can beat you in football. Yeah. I already probably um, can answer more questions than you in yeah. class. So why can't I be in the lead? Did that play a part? Um, I think that gradually I leaned into and learned and accepted what my power was. Uh, I don't think that there was a moment that it switched. I don't think that, you know, I was fortunate that my parents always instilled that into me. My father always put that into me, both of my parents. Um, I didn't have mentors or teachers who did because I went to that predominantly white school. So I say, so I did not have that until I got to college. Um, and my mentor, Victoria Bussert, um, she, yeah, she did that for me. She instilled that into me, but I think it's like, you know, it was, I think that even as big as people would say that I was like personality wise or like, you know, whatever it might be, I was still holding like parts of myself down and because I wasn't being, I didn't see it celebrated. Like they were celebrated for being, you know, the things that I could see that I was. So then it didn't tell me to be louder. It didn't tell me to grow more in it. It didn't tell me to lean into how great I was, how powerful I was. It told me to like kind of stay in my lane, even though it didn't seem like I was, you know, I think that um, recently in the past five, you know, five, 10 years, I've gotten to a place of accepting my space and accepting like my power and my potential and all of those things. But that's a gradual over so many years of, uh, just not truly, not fully believing in it. You can tell yourself that you do, and there, there's a facade of like, oh, I do because I'm more, I'm more, or I'm accomplishing more, or I'm doing more, or I'm like, you know, showing a certain thing more than other people. So there's a thing that puts out, yes, I am, but I'm telling you that like I was, I was holding myself down because they told me I had to, because no, because you know, like I was looking for validation in the wrong places, and. um yeah, so I think I think that um, long long short that's a that's it's been a, it's been a process it's been a process to step into that. So when did you do your first play, or was it like oh the I first did my man the film first, in school? <laughs> no, like the funny thing is like I mean it was like in that high school musical way, bro, where like I was on the football team and like our theater like teacher was like we need dudes to do the show. Can you get the guy like can you guys do the show? And like one of our homies actually did do musicals and stuff like that. So we were like, yeah, we could do the show. Like let's do the show. And you know like I think 8th grade, you know, we all did the musical and like I didn't get a part. And then what happened was in like I I like in ninth and 10th grade I kind of just started to get into it and wanted to be involved but they didn't really take me seriously. And then when I would audition and things like I would never all bro, I never got a lead role in anything in high school. And then I got into one of the top five conservatories for music theater in the country. And like but my guidance counselor told me I wasn't going to get in the school there. Like it was like like legitimately bro, I never had a lead role. And then I go happened to this conservatory. I got into this school, you know, that um no, not just any school, name it. You guys Yeah, man, I got Baltimore conservatory. <laughs> and uh and shout out like Victoria Buster, you know, for believing in me, man. It was just so um because that that dream could have been shut down, you know. Who knows, man? It could have gone a lot of ways. My dad was like, "You can pick five schools that are that are. If you want to do this, you pick five schools because we're not going to do this auditioning at twenty different places. Things you pick five schools that are like top at what you want to do, and we'll support it and we'll go out there. And if you get in, then you know that's what you do. That's what we'll do. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get in, 
and uh and then it nourished from there like my freshman year i was uh i was really trying to figure out life but um I was the only one, one of two freshmen cast in the musical, which is, was a big deal because it was Phantom that year. And then this, my sophomore year, I had a lead in the show. And then every semester after my sophomore, first my my sophomore year, every semester I had a lead in every single show. Like whether it was a, a lead that the white people normally played or it was a lead for a black person, like I was the lead in every show. And uh, and it just changed, you know, what I thought I could do. So it. Explain that because I just found discovered that you know when I was reading up about you. Explain the importance or the impact of that part of the Baldwin Wallace Conservatory and why that is significant for artists, actors, yeah, musicians. Yeah, you have to, man. I think that what we do is so special and it's beautiful, and but it's so it's hard. It's so layered. You have to study. I saw this. I saw. Uh, we were just talking about Denzel. I saw this interview or like Denzel was on a carpet and some dude walked up to him and interviewed him. He was like, I want to be like you, man. I want to be like you. Like, can you, can you, can I be your protege? Can I, whatever. And Denzel was like, are you in school? And he was like, he was like, no, nah, he was like, are you in school for acting? He was like, no, nah. he was like, go to school and then wallet, you know, like it, it just, it, it is so essential to train in what we do especially as black people man especially as black people it's it's why do you think why do we think that in every other profession our parents have told us our entire lives we got to be 10 times better to get half as much that's the same in this if you want to do it in this or you can work you know no like no offense to nobody or you know no knocking on anybody's thing but if if you want to work like chitlin circuit or you want to do something like that then that might be a different thing maybe you can get into that differently but if you want to do if we want to chase those denzels and we want to we want to do angela and cheryl and all of them you know uh show them respects and pay homage to all of that like you got to train and i was fortunate to train somewhere that was not only extremely rigorous and very very difficult and challenging and demanding but that nurtured me like uh you know in a in a business that at the time i don't think was even really ready for the way she was like this woman really was like you can do anything you you have the talent to play anything you want to do and you don't need to so i you know so i approach things a lot differently i think than a lot of people do and it feels if, if some people feel that it's entitlement. Some people feel this is this and that. I'm like, no, I just like kind of demand what I feel that I'm worth and what I work for and what I think pushes the needle instead of just continuing to play these roles that keep us on a level. Which, which you guys get to um, the, the chillers, brother? You don't like Mama Shop? No, 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 no. I do not. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to, I am not knocking nobody. I mean, anytime you want to see your old RB school, um, um, players that you listened to back in the 80s and 90s, that's where they at. Yo, you know, man, that's where they at. I, I'll tell you, New Jack City is one of my favorite films ever. New Jack City oh, absolutely. and Wesley Snipes. Bro, when this thing, so because you know they're doing a musical. They're, it's a musical. That's for, man, I just can't. And so and set it off, man, I just can't get it. I, I, you know, no knock it to anyone, man. Everybody, you know, whatever makes them happy and whatever makes you fulfilled in your work, I support for you. It's just, you know, not necessarily uh, the path of, of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, you know, personally, there's nothing wrong with opportunities and there's nothing. We all got to start somewhere and do the things that we got to do. I think it's a matter of 
you know, do you stay there? Yes. And um, I think what you were speaking more to is about challenging yourself beyond that. Like, okay, cool. You got this opportunity. You're doing this right here. But what do you, what are you trying to reach? Yeah. And I think you're coming from a point of we should all try to reach higher. You know, there, there should be no place we all should want to just remain at. You know, when you think about artistry, you know, within this work, that's that's just something what it is. And when you were done with Baldwin Wallace Conservatory, what kind of opportunities opened up for you post that? So it was str- it was strange uh, after, and I mean, it, it was good. Like it, it was good. What happens when you go to these conservatories, the top ones in the country have a showcase that they do in New York City for the agents. Usually most to, you know, uh, most of you sign with agents, you move to New York right after and then you set it off, you know, and that is what happened. So, I mean, you know, it all it all worked out the way that it said. But I think that I was um, I was growing into myself and also like. Finding the balance of like, yeah, now I learned all these awesome things and I know what I'm worth, but now like I have to show all these people and like, do I have to do that in the way that they want me to? Like, do I have to go play through these black track roles that everyone who I looked up to has done and then get a chance to show you what I can do? Because that's kind of what it was at that time. I graduated in 2011 and, uh, you know, even the black, it was, it was like, that's before Hamilton, you know, even though like, like the black musicals, there were a few and the ones that weren't Lion King weren't lasting, you know, like that it wasn't cool to be a black, you know, uh, whatever. So I think like, you know, with my initial agents, they're kind of like, who is this young you know, this young black dude just telling us what he's not going to do, like what he's not, what he doesn't want to go out for. And um, so we kind of went back and forth, but I knew, you know, Simba was a thing that um, that a lot of people who I looked up to in the music theater world, in the Broadway world, that, you know, those brothers started through that role. And it was something that I knew I wanted to do and something that I was set on doing. And, you know, and I got to do that. So I'm blessed. And I was fortunate the way that um, that things did work out. But it was a weird it was a weird start at the beginning, for sure. I was like, no, I don't want to go play seaweed and hairspray, bro. I'm not doing it. No, I don't want to go do this in that show. No, I already did Dream Girls. I don't want to go do that. And they're like, what do you mean? So what are you going to do? Like, get me something else. Like, I, I know that there are other things for me to be doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, it's always a difficult journey. This path is just a difficult journey for everyone. Um, but I didn't make it easier for myself. I'll tell you. <laughs> did you do that without being labeled or have you do you feel like you've been labeled the word difficult that word difficult can lay on black people so hard no matter what job you could be a difficult plumber you can be a difficult taxi uber driver yeah Yeah. with you and you you draw the line on that how do you avoid that or did you i did not avoid it i also probably spent a couple of years getting out of the mud from it um I was definitely labeled that way after Lion King. And uh, there were things in that situation that, I mean, even from, from the beginning of it, I think I was, you, it really blows your mind that the biggest, blackest, most successful musical in the world is ran by all white people. The director, the assistant director, the associate, the producers, everybody. Very strange thing to walk into. And then also there were just things in um, 
the culture of how it was working when I was there that I could not get down with. And uh, I spoke up on some things, you know, in places where people don't normally speak up, but I was doing the work. Like I also knew, I knew that I was performing at a very high level. Like I knew that I will never let the work fail for anything, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But the power that I think I had in myself of knowing that, plus being like, I'm gonna speak up on these things that everybody's hurting about, but they won't speak up on. It's just not, you know, it's not how you play that game. So I know that um, I was labeled that way after that. I know that I um, took some took some lumps for that, you know, missed out on some roles, missed out on some other things, you know, and I, I de I've definitely spent some time um, not like intentionally taking myself out of that, not going like, first of all, I had to let go of that. And then I just had to continue to do work. And I had to get better. Like that's all. Like that's all it was. was. Just continue to do the work. At the end of the day, the work will speak for itself. And um, and and no one can take that from you. No one can take the work from you. You know, the work, how you treat others, what you're doing, that you say you're gonna do, what you're that you do, what you say you're gonna do, and you know, and stay consistent in that. And I've been um, fortunate to to I think be able to do that somewhat. Um, but yeah, I did not escape that difficult thing, and I've seen what it does to uh, to your career, especially starting off. Is that difficulty what drove you to create Silent Partner? I don't believe so. I think I think it definitely had a part. Definitely had a part in it um, because microaggressions, like the first place that I can really realized calling them out, even when they didn't have it to me, it was happening to one of the queens in our cast was in Lion King. You know, I remember, um, yeah, <laughs> I remember sitting at a table at, at, for a table read and um, it was it was my first table read actually uh, in the cast. And I remember sitting at the table and the girl who was reading Shenzi, which is the Whoopi Goldberg um, hyena, she was new and I was new and everything was going well and whatever else. And I remember the, the, the person who was directing at the time, I won't use anybody's names, but I remember that um, during the table read, she wasn't getting it the way that they wanted her to get it. And I remember him turning to her and telling her, and this is a table, this is a room full of like 35 very talented black folks and like maybe 10 producer, white producers and a couple of white directors. And he told her to be more ghetto. He was like, I need you to be what? more. Yeah. Oh, never forget it. I was for the lion. King, yeah. Bro? Yeah. For but you know, like if you don't have the language to facilitate, which first of all, you shouldn't be a director. But if you don't have the language to facilitate what you're trying to say, which is like, oh, like I wanted more, like Whoopi Goldberg, like like edgy street out of this thing. But like the first thing that comes to your head is like, I need you. I watch this girl start crying. So like trying to trying to hold it in because she's like doing whatever, and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't think I like. I don't think I don't think we understood what you were asking, and I just had like I had I felt I had to say something, and and uh, and I was new. Like there were people in that room who had been there for twenty years who could have said something with no no scars, you know. Um, but that was the beginning to a uh, oh maybe he's maybe he's worth maybe he's not worth. The trouble, you know, um, but 
Yeah, man. Like microaggressions and those things, those happen all through that. But then, you know, when you find out what microaggressions are, then you realize that you've been dealing with your entire life. I went like have flashbacks of things in school that I didn't know what to call. And now I'm like, like, you know, in elementary school and high school. And now I'm like, oh, those are microaggressions. Those are things we were dealing with. So, I mean, I think that all of my life and our lives led up to silent partner, but it was more just like me wanting to get active about the things that I didn't like in the industry, in the way our stories were told, and who was telling them, who had control, and their authenticity. And uh, I was like, cool, man, I'm, I'm done complaining about anything that I'm not going to get active about. I don't care what it is. Now, in the film, Silent Partner, though, it's it's you acting in it. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong with the storyline, because I'm not trying to give certain things away, but you're a lawyer who just got promoted and you're taking on a case of a woman who just shot a young black young black child, correct? Yeah, so I actually, I got promoted like. because I won the case of the woman who shot the young black child. So mm -hmm. we successfully defend a woman, a white woman who shoots a young black child, and I subsequently get promoted. And uh, then, you know, the night of events ensues. And then there's a, you know, there's another proposition. There's just more, it's, it's just the idea of what are you willing to sacrifice to get where your dreams are, whatever, quote unquote, dreams, you know, uh, whatever that the mountaintop, whatever it is that we want. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Because it's always a sacrifice with us. It's always a set, like they're always, you know. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of Silas reeling the, realizing those things, which is, you know, find out his wife is pregnant, which then opens another like I'm, I'm, I, I can make the decisions that I make and I can be labeled difficult for a couple of years, years ago, because I don't have a child. I'm not supporting a family. That's not exactly why, but that is part of the reason why, you know, like, so like, that's why we look at, we got to look at just different perspectives. You know, everybody's making decisions for different reasons. There's not necessarily a right or wrong, but we can show those things, you know? So I think that heightened his, what are you willing to sacrifice? Because you have a why. Your why is... Yeah, the first thing I noticed watching the trailer was the how intense the character was. And I can feel the restraint from the trailer. I can like I can feel it, and no disrespect. I don't know if that came from your performance or my blackness. I'm still trying to figure that <laughs> I out. I hope it's. A, I'm gonna watch the movie. I'm gonna I'm I'm going to watch the movie myself to try to you know understand that more, because I don't know if that was just a relatability thing, like a trigger, a trauma, or whatever. But I felt that restraint sitting at that table and them saying those little small things, and you you could just I can see it in your face and everything of that. What came first, the idea for the film or your discovery of microaggressions? Um, my discovery of microaggressions the, uh, came first um, through, you know, through studying, through observing, through therapy. Um, all of those things, it was something that kept coming up. And uh, the film idea and me making a film came, it was a COVID baby. Like I had, you know, like I had contracts and things for a show that was lined up for, you know, when COVID happened, all that got canceled, everything got canceled, you know? So uh, I got active about some things, you know, and 
had this idea and I hit my, my producer, my co-producer, uh, Selma. And I was like, I had this idea and she was a hundred percent about it and backing me on it. And, you know, we, it, it, the COVID baby turned into a much bigger production that then turned into a production company. And now is all of these going concerns. So I'm, I'm fortunate that, um, you know, God showed me a way to get active through what I, what I already have and now find some other gifts and, and be able to create jobs for the rest of us and do all this other stuff, you know, but yeah, honestly, I like, it was the, uh, it was a surprise blessing from COVID. Yeah. I, I keep discovering even when I do episodes here or in my personal life that the pandemic shut down, it's the gift that nobody asks for that keeps on giving. Yeah. And I mean that in a way of the lessons I keep learning from it hard, like the hard truths I keep discovering, you know, in that. And I understand what it's like also too in my own personal journey to discover something that's always been existent. Now I go through a process when I do that, I feel a certain type of way. I'm like, how the hell I didn't know that this was a run. Yeah. Like I feel a certain amount of like shame and I, I started to I started to blame myself. I look back on moments where I felt like I should have said something and did something and reacted, but I just wasn't, you know, I was too conditioned to ignore it or play the role or whatever. What was your personal journey in that as you were starting to go back on your healing journey and recall microaggressions that affected you? It's same, man. I mean, it's a, I think that's a, that's a, uh, a prideful black man thing that serves us and also does not serve us. So it's something we need to get over quicker. Uh, being mad about your being mad at yourself for something that you couldn't have possibly known was affecting you, and that something when it was affecting you, nobody even had a term for. It. There wasn't a term for microaggressions twenty years ago. What do you you know? So like, so um, I went through from two thousand sixteen to now. <laughs> uh, radical change of like my initial wokeness of like, Ooh, I'm angry about everything. Like I'm angry about all of this and I'm speaking at these rallies and I'm going to burn this down and you're not going to tell me this and blah, blah, blah to then figuring out, okay, I got that little out. Who was that serving? Was it serving me? Was it serving the community? Maybe a tiny bit, but it wasn't doing what I thought it was. And then kind of realizing that, okay, maybe I could do something through my art to now figuring out that actually like film is, you know, me, me making these films is how I am most helpful to us in these struggles instead of me burning down the world, which is what I felt like doing when I figured it out. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a real thing as an, as an artist, especially as a black artist of trying to find your place. It reminds me of the film. I am not your Negro. Yeah. And James you know, Baldwin, James Baldwin yeah. as he, as he's trying to discover what his place was. And ultimately he comes to the conclusion that, you know, he is a witness. So it sounds like you came to a conclusion of what your art, you was going to let your art speak. Your, your choice of weapons, as Gordon Clark says, like you was going to let your art speak for what you were feeling in that. And kind of going back to the researchers of that, is, is that kind of why the name of your production company is Black Man Films? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was so... Like a ground zero? Yeah. Do, I mean, and do, so when that happened, like when the COVID and all the stuff and we started doing the film, Selma called me and she was like, um, so have you ever thought of having a production company? And I was like, no. I thought, I was like, no, I haven't. And uh, we talked about it for a little bit and she was like, well, we, you know, we could do this under it and then move all these other things. And I was like, you know what? Um, 
if black man films is available then we'll have a production company and if it's not then it's not for me it was the first thing that came to my head it made the most sense i sat with it and was like this is what i want like i went back and forth on a being other things i was like if this is there then it is for me and it was so um and it's not like even the literal nature is to do what it what it what I think it does, you know, it does, it does perk some ears. It actually pushes some buttons in some wrong space. You know, people were like, maybe you should think about changing this to present the package as something else. Or like your films can still be what they are, but you coming with the films that you do, plus your company being black man films, maybe it's just a lot. I don't care about that. I don't care about none of that. It's supposed, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But on top of that, it's not just like, you know, it's for, it's for our queens to have black women and our, you know, our LGBTQ black people and all the, just like our, our stories that aren't being represented and, and authentically and truthfully and uh, our opportunities that aren't being given. So it's for all of us. But I think that black man films, it's just what hit the way it was supposed to for me. I wanted to let them know, you know, what this is, who I am, what I'm standing for and, uh, and be, and not be scared of that, not shy away from that. And that puts it out there. So like, I can't, I can't hide from what we're doing. <laughs> let me, let me, you know, let's, let's, let's sit on that for a second, brother, because you hit on something. There's something that I want to ask you, but the first thing that comes to mind when you think, as an artist, when you think of black man films, what films come to your mind? What actor or films come to your mind? Mm. So my my favorite film ever and my favorite performance of all time is Malcolm X. <laughs> um, it's my favorite performance of a single actor ever, um, and and that is the Oscar so white. That that was that year, by the way. Just to let you know. <laughs> oh man, that's the year Al Pacino won Single yeah. Woman. So that I just saw that on my YouTube not too long ago. I didn't realize that Al Pacino won over Malcolm X. Yeah, and that's over Denzel. Yeah, that, and then you win, and then we win for Training Day, but we don't win for Malcolm X. It's always happened that way. That's a tangent, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind. But I mean, you know, um, man, do the right thing. Uh, Everything from, yeah, everything from Malcolm X to, to Boys in the Hood. I mean, everything that represents our, because the experience is not a monolith. So like it, it is, it is, it, it's about representing our experience like through an excellent lens. It's not, it's a, like not cheating it in any kind of way. Um, and I think all of these performances, man, like, like Sidney Portier was what we had before Denzel, but Denzel and Lawrence Fishburne kind of carried that for a long time for us. John Singleton. Um, yeah, man, I think, I think that, there was really in that nineties, like an up, like there was, there was just a, a beautiful blossoming of our stories. And for, even though they're classics to us, for some reason, like they did, none of them got the due that they were supposed to. Like the, I, I think back on those films and I'm like, Oh, these were all like Oscar winning, whatever films right now, man. <laughs> like almost, almost none of them. Almost none of them. Do you think we need that culturally? Because, you know, when I think about, for example, The Best Man. Yeah. And when you go back and you look at those films, they barely rank, a lot, a lot of them, they barely rank like in the top five. Or like you said, they didn't even, some of them didn't even get nominated. Like Denzel got nominated, but some of them didn't even get nominated. But they register so hard in our culture. Do you think we need those accolades or whatever when it comes to us and making film? Because some people would make the argument 
we don't need that. We just need to keep doing us. Or do you see the value in those accolades when it comes to representation? I 100% agree with both sides. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't. What I've learned even in the past year with Silent Partner, because uh, I don't, I, most, I know that like, you know, having been labeled difficult or having being the way that I am, whatever, I'm like, there are plenty of people who, who love what I do and there are plenty of people who hate what I do in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So it's never for any kind of accolade or any kind of award, but what I've learned from getting a few from Silent Partner and from winning Best Actor at Bronze Liz in Atlanta, from those things, like what I learned is people listen a bit more to what you're saying, even though you were saying the same stuff before. So I so I agree with everyone who says we don't need that because if we support ourselves, then we don't need it. The money's there and everything's there. The platform is there. We don't need their... Um, their accolades or their, you know, we don't need their endearment, any of those things if we support us. But that being said, if we're about this change the narrative, if we're about this, like the best men in those things were labeled black films. That's why half these other folks didn't go watch them. <laughs> like, you know, they were like, but, but any other white rom-com in the 90s or early 2000s was just a rom-com. But ours are black rom-coms or like, you know, all of, like we talk about New Jack City, man, we, it's a it's a treasure in the culture. How many of them have seen New Jack City or even know that it exists? That, you know, the part that blows me is that when I grew up in America as a black man, whether I've seen it or not, I am aware of. Who yes, I am aware yep. of Romeo and Juliet. I am aware of these things, right? And what's always so mind-blowing to me is when you have these cross-contemporary conversations, how it's not not only did they not see it, they don't even know what you're talking about. Yep. It didn't even come across the menu. They didn't even know it was being served there. And it's like, yo, we went to the same theater. You know what I mean? You didn't even see it in the title. Yeah. Like, I know Harry Met Sally, even though I never saw the film. You understand? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I know, like I know it. So I'm always mind blown by that. What is it about? And you know, be it truthful. What is it about being labeled as a black film? Because listen, your production is called Black Man Films. There is the argument of oh, it excludes a certain group, which I know you're you're something that you've heard. What is something about when something is put to black is limited? Because look, you got a film like my my big fat Greek wedding, and yet <laughs> that's still inviting. That's still inviting to everyone, right? You have movies where they put the race in the title, but yet it still is an invite to everyone. But there's something about we don't even have to put the black in our title, but it's almost as if like, well, it's not going to appeal to that over there. Yeah, what is it about that yet you see you working in the industry and in the arts? Yeah, I. Uh, I think that I'm very cognizant of, like, in my film, in the film that we made, everyone is represented somehow, whether you want to see that or whether they want to see that or not. <laughs> like, you know, it is not just a, it is, a, it is like, that's like saying black history is black history. No, black history is American history. American history is black history. That's what it is. 
there is no black history in American history. There just is American history, you know, like, like, so me telling stories that focus on our struggles, but our struggles directly pertaining to their actions actually is a story about all of us. Very, I, I believe that. And as long as I truthfully stay in those lines, I think that, um, I think that we do need to take back though, like cer- certain labels of things. Like you, I got into it with this the people about this angry black man thing all the time. And like, what does that mean? Microaggressions and all these conversations that show you what black men are dealing with every day, all day might be able to change that. You might be able to understand why that angry black man is, but like, I don't understand why a black man who speaks up or is or is who's strong in his opinion is militant. That's another thing we need. So I'm like, you know, I can what I'm doing is putting nuance into or or not what what the team of people that I built is doing, because I'm not doing it at all alone. But we're putting nuance into storytelling and telling them not like this, like Silas and Kosi are not from out the gutter. It's not from out the hood. We're talking about lawyers that you work next to, but we're talking about these same stories and these same issues. And we're just putting it into a, it, we're putting you into a world, you know, and showing it through nuance instead of necessarily smacking you over the head with it, which I don't think is a problem either. But, you know, since we're in a world of we're like, oh, we need to, you know, spoon feed something in a way that is palpable. I don't believe in that, but I do believe in creating a, a, a real honest world and I think that you should be able to do that without like seeing black and being and it being some deterrent. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had read that the same individual that did your cinematography is the same one that did for the film the Forty Year Old Version. Yeah, Eric Bronco, man. And that was one of that was one of my favorite films, yo. And I, when I think about a film like that, it don't necessarily have to tell you you know, black woman, black woman, you know, me as a man watching that and I'm watching this black woman experience, it didn't necessarily have to beat my head over it, but it was definitely a black woman's perspective and what she was dealing with in her day-to-day life, you know what I mean, from everything. And, you know, I always push back on everybody that feel like they got to relate to everything. So I'm like, I don't relate to the Avengers, but I'm a comic book geek. Yes. You know, like, you know, like, you know, I don't understand why that always felt like an excuse for me, yeah. you know, when I see that. And so, with you know your film that you piece together the silent partner what is something that you want people to take away from it when they leave the theater when they leave watching it when they leave streaming it what is something that you would like the one thing personally you would like for them to take yeah um first of all eric bronco he's amazing that that man is a is a lens god Shout shout out to eric bronco a lens god over there um but yeah, man. So I think, so I've been asked this question. And I actually like, I have to answer it in two parts only because I think that there is, I make what I make for us. I, because I don't think that there's enough made for us and I make it for us. So my first intent is what we come from it. I want us to feel seen, feel heard and, and, um, triumphant at the end of it. You know, I want you to like understand that we can put out stories of our trauma and of our reality without losing at the end, without leaving the theater feeling bad about it. You know, without, you know, we can still feel great, but we can be truthful in that. So as long as our people feel like I represented us well, I did my job. Um, but for them, 
uh, and anyone who is not, <laughs> I would love. I, I, I want you to be able to take an honest look and see who you are in that story. You know, uh, uh, by, there are no innocent bystanders. Bro. <laughs> there are no innocent bystanders. If you're on the side and you're seeing this happen, and you're seeing this microaggression being being taken out, or you're seeing this aggression being taken out on your coworker, you know, um, and you are not saying anything, then you're complicit. So, so I'm not even saying that you're the one dishing it out, which a lot of you are, <laughs> but, but I'm not saying that you're yes. the one dishing it out. I'm saying that there are a lot of other people in that room that you could be. And, and when you see who it is, then like, how do we, how do we start to change that? I see. How do we start to change that? You know? So I think those are the two things that I would like separate groups to get out of it. That's beautiful, brother. Um, last question. How can we, I saw that. You're trying to champion this to get recognized at the Oscars. How can we as consumers, individuals, folks of the culture help you do that? So we we were qualified for the Oscars. We did not make the short list of the Oscars, which is completely fine. The entire thing has been in, uh, a blessing that we weren't even shooting for. You know, we led with we led with the art and we led with the truth and we were rewarded around that. So I feel grateful for that. We know how to lead more on that next time. So, you know, I will be able to tell y'all how to help us when the time comes. But what we're trying to do right now is get fully funded for our feature film. We're going to make Silent Partner into a full length film this year. So please like go follow us at our Silent Partner Instagram. Follow me at Roderick Law. Um, you know, like stay up on our stuff, post our things, hit me if you want to see the film and it's not out yet. You know, anything word of mouth. It's it's, it's strange how how word of mouth um, sends these things, you know, and gets in front of the right people. And I think that like as long as, you know, we keep getting the support that we've been getting, which is beautiful, then uh, then we can make it happen. But I, I appreciate you on that, man. Yeah, what, where can I watch the film now? Because I was trying to find yeah, it. Yeah, so, so where can I so watch you, the film now? So we're dealing with, we're going through distribution right now. So in the next month or so, it'll be out on a bunch of different platforms. Um, but we had okay. to finish our Oscar run before that happened. So, yes. Oh, okay. So we just finished our festival and our Oscar run. We did, I think we got into 22 festivals, which is a really, really uh, beautiful run. And that's just finished up. So now the distribution things are happening. But I say that. Also, you can hit me if you DM me on uh, Instagram, then I can get you a private link. I can get people private links to check it out before then so that they can tell everybody about it uh, when it is, when it does come out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to need that, bro. Oh, man, you, you were supposed to have it. I'm going to get you right out. Yeah, you, <laughs> I got you. But, you know, listen, 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 no disrespect. Maybe they sent it and I, you know, I overlooked it, whatever, but I'm going to hit you anyway. Cause you know, saying so you're a good, you're a good brother. I appreciate it. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna need that extra privilege. Oh, you know, what I'm saying? anything you need. <laughs> I need that extra. <laughs> I like, I like the small perks. I'm not on that level to get the big perks, <laughs> but the little small ones. Hey, brother, I will take it. You know, I definitely take man, it. I, you know, I got you. Thank bro. you, man. This is, yo, this this has been wonderful. Um, let us know all your socials so we can continue to follow and support you on your journey. Yeah, uh, please follow us at Black Man Films. Uh, follow me at I'm Roderick Lawrence, but my Instagram is Roderick Law. Um, and we also have a silent partner film, uh, Instagram, but black man films and me at Roderick law, you'll find everything you need and you can keep in touch with, you know, when the film is about to come out, 
We have another film that is coming out that we just finished, uh, and it's actually an ode to those 90s black love films we were talking about. So that's coming out in the next couple months. And uh, yeah, follow that. I think it's so different than Silent Partner, but it's really for us, and I think y'all will enjoy that. So yeah, man, you can follow the journey on any of those things, and please feel free to hit me. I'll try to be responsive. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. Uh, please allow me to look, open the door for you because we like all of our guests to know that it's not a one time. So anytime you want to come over here, especially with you being in the game, let us know about your your path and what you're doing. But also we need that art perspective that's going on too because with the rise of what we're talking about being Black Hollywood right now, we want to find ways to keep supporting it. And one of my beliefs is the way we can keep supporting it is, is supporting individuals like yourself. Nothing against the Angela Bassett's and there's a Washington yeah. and another, but we need to look towards the individuals to be able to, you know, come behind them after that. And so, you know, please always feel free, you know, to hit us up, let us know, like, hey, listen, this is something you guys need to be aware of to come back on the show cool. so we can talk about that also, too. So let's continue it because we want to continue to be that voice for you and the art that you put out. Yeah, man, I appreciate that for real. Let's, uh, we got to get back up when this new film comes out then in a month or so. I would love to holler at you about it. I think um, you really dig it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I go to New York all the time for work, so you know I'd be there working through the construction and the murders and everything else, and you know what I'm saying. And as I drive through DC and I work through that too, you know. So you know we'll, we'll figure yeah, it out. Oh yeah, I'm quite confident we'll yeah, figure we'll it out. Yeah, we'll be all right. You know, <laughs> we'll be we'll be yeah. all right. We always all right. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's Keep your fine. eyes straight and mind yours, man. That's all you gotta straight. do. Is... Everything, everything is fine. You know. Appreciate you. Well, that does it for this episode of Hits to Be a Black Podcast. I know my blackness feels elevated. Um, Mr. Roger, your blackness feels elevated, bro. Man, it does. Talking to another king. I feel great. <laughs> I feel rejuvenated for the day, man. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Uh, much appreciate you. As usual, you can catch all of our episodes on all of the platforms, the Spotify's, the Apple's. Look up the History of Being Black Podcast. Make sure you hit us up on our social media at the History of Being Black Black. Pod, um, Instagram, and make sure you look up Mean Lion for the episode updates also. I'm Jay Hall. As usual, you can hit me on all social media platforms at Jay Hall Society. Be blessed, be successful. Talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production. In your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.